Well, the OHL podcast is very proud to be sharing this story, one that I think should be a little bit more sinister by way of subplot, but our guests will not allow that to be the case. Fred Wallace, who you all know, is the voice of the Owen Sound Attack, and Larry Malott, who is the voice, of course, of the Guelph Storm. To me, these guys should be sworn enemies because, Fred, you and the Owen Sound people stole the storm, or the platers, pardon me, from Guelph. So I don't know how the two of you remain friends off ice. It's interesting. Uh, with Colby Barlow setting that record last year for under 16, I'm surprised there wasn't more reaction from Guelph to say that, no, that record belongs to Kirk Muller. But, you know, they've been here for the better part of 30 plus years. So a lot of the Guelph uh, connection has, has vanished. Okay. Larry, can you explain to me, though, how it is that you and Fred are so close away from the rink when on the ice, not only is it, you know, the Platers used to be in Guelph, then they go to Owen Sound, geographically, uh, one of the closest rivals in the division. And how is it that you and Fred become friends? Well, hold on just a, a minute. You do recall. No, you wouldn't recall because you're too young. The Kitchener Rangers are the Guelph Biltmore Mad Hatters. So long before Owen Sound took a team away from Guelph, Kitchener took a team away from Guelph. I shouldn't be talking to either one of you guys. <laughs> you're both a couple of encyclopedias. <laughs> <laughs> too much knowledge. It hurts my head. It does. It does. Fred, when that team came, I, I read a piece, I think it was one of Greg Cowan's not too long ago, uh, but about just what the what the franchise has meant to the community in Owen Sound and what the group that brought it there really, I mean, is revered for good reason. But what do the attack mean to the community in Owen Sound? Well, there's there's a, a number of levels, obviously, Mike, and I think this applies in every in every market. But one, it's a form of entertainment uh, Two. It's a form of competitive hockey. It's the highest form in, in the province of Ontario. And, and I think also it, it's a great marketing tool, not just for the attack, but for a lot of uh, businesses and for a lot of community organizations. So I think on, on that level, it's, uh, it's pretty hard for me to imagine what Saturdays would be in Owen Sound without that particular team. So uh, just, just as a footnote to that, we're, you know, I maybe as much as anybody am, am extremely grateful to the holidays for taking the chance on Owen Sound in 1989. Larry, what did it mean to get the storm back into Guelph after, of course, the Platers had departed? Well, there was quite a lull in the wintertime activity around here. We had junior B hockey, and I was watching and following that, and it was good. But you could tell by the, the fan reaction how much they missed major junior A hockey. And when the storm came back to town, uh, even through that first year, what was it? There were only three or four victories, something like that. You could tell the people were just excited to have it back and, and have it going again. And there were the built-in rivalries, like you said, with Kitchener just up the road, with the Owen Sound attack, with the London Knights. This Midwest division has been competitive from day one with the, well, it wasn't the Midwest division back then, but those same rivalries existed from the time the storm got back into the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, and you talk about the tough start with just a few to four wins in a season, but it's been a pretty nice little run for that Storm franchise over the last decade or so. But uh, and when I think of that, Fred, I think of obviously Owen Sound, and, and I got to think that Jared Maiden circa 2011 has got to be uh, the highlight of the franchise to date. Yeah, there's no question about that, Mike, and and we'll be we'll be hard pressed to match that. I, I hope the day comes that Owen Sound has another OHL championship, another trip to the Memorial Cup, uh, 
I think I'm, I'm envious of Larry because I think he's been six times and I've only been the one time. But from from the standpoint to win game seven on the road in, in, in overtime, I don't I don't think that you could ever top that. And, and if we do, I hope I'm around to see it. Well, in fairness, I mean, I've been with the Kitchener Rangers for about 15 years, give or take now. But the only Memorial Cup I saw was one that was hosted by the Rangers back in 2008 when they fell uh, by uh, well, I was going to say by one goal. They fell by three, but to Spokane in the final, they made it to the final and lost four one in that uh, final game. But that's the closest I've come. So, Larry, you're the you're the Memorial Cup veteran on this team right now. Boy, that's one way to put it. But that's that's been a disappointing tournament for the Guelph Storm. They made it to the final in overtime in '98. Made it to the final in 2014 in London in a tournament they really thought they should have won because they were the best team through the round robin. Such a difficult tournament to uh, win. And boy, we've got some interesting discussions going on, don't we, about home teams that uh, host it and get eliminated in the first round and how much of an advantage that can give them. And, and we've seen the Memorial Cup won by teams in two situations like that in recent years. Is it a format that you need to change? Maybe a bit at least. What do you think, Larry? Should we change it? Well, I think I suggested to you over the summer and to Fred as well, maybe one fair way of doing it might be to kind of put a hold on when the tournament starts and let all of the teams that win championships maybe have a good 10 days to two weeks off so they can be a little bit more rested, the same as that team that's been sitting around waiting. You know, Fred, when I think back to that 2011 championship, even as the host team, which we understand why they have the host to attract the local fans, had it not been for the proximity geographically of Owen Sound to Mississauga. And even then, it was still a couple and a half hours for those fans to drive. But we called that arena in Mississauga the Bayshore South for a reason. Yeah, Game 7 in particular was unbelievable uh, against Mississauga. Uh, I remember looking at the video board when they when they first pumped it up about an hour before and thinking, OK, I know them. I know him. I know her. I, I see those people. And and the Monday night game, we lost to the Sea Dogs uh, in overtime in a great game. I think it went 79 minutes before uh, we were beaten by St. John in overtime. And I remember the drive home because I had to be on air the next morning. And basically from Shelburne, from Shelburne North, all it was was a line of, of taillights of Owen Sound people going home on, uh, which was the holiday Monday of the long weekend in May. But still, you know, it was just an example of how committed they were and how into that team they were. Walk us through that maiden's goal, Fred, because I'm sure it's still etched in your memory forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's funny. Uh, I've been asked, uh, you know, did you have the the call rehearsed? And and no way could you anticipate that your underage would get two goals in that game, let alone the overtime winner. And and you know I can still see it. Uh, Liam Helis wins it back to to Shemitz, and Shemitz's uh, 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 shot gets blocked, and Cameron Brace picked it up. Uh, Jaden had a couple of whacks at it at the front of the net, and it barely made the back of the net. And uh, then the the explosion in the in the building was was so exciting. Um, Another good memory of that uh, in the parking lot at Mississauga, and you know how how well structured that parking lot is. Well, they were having a, a motorcycle licensing day that day as well. So it was just crammed in there. and We were wall to wall. And I remember just inching my way out in the parking lot afterwards. And I saw one of my best friends in Owen Sound. He had a caravan. And so he was moving ahead. And I thought, all right, if I hit anybody, I'll hit my buddy. And we got lodged in traffic. And these guys got out of a car. I think they were from Owen Sound. They were certainly Owen Sound fans. And they pulled the flag off their car, one of those car flags, pulled it off, knocked on the car in front of them, knocked on the window, and, and the person rolled down the window and took the flag. And when we moved up, when we, when we inched up, it was Hazel McCallion. And I'm just sitting there, all right, Hazel, are you an attack fan now? 
<laughs> That's fantastic. Hurricane Hazel changes colors, eh? <laughs> Larry, what stands out to you? You mentioned the Memorial Cup maybe has been a bit of a disappointment, but there's no shortage of success, as we've already alluded to, with that Storm franchise since its return to Guelph. What stands out to you as a highlight moment or moments? It's funny, there, there are a couple of ones. Uh, obviously, when they won the first time in 1998, Brian Wilsey scored the winning goal against Ottawa very late in the third period. I can recall him barging in on the right wing, and he had a great shot. He was a gifted goal scorer as a junior. And the goal he scored that particular night was a soft one. I, I thought afterwards the goaltender should have had that one, but thank heavens from a Guelph perspective that he didn't. And then there was one uh, actually when the Storm went to the semifinal, which they lost uh, to Ottawa, there was an overtime winner against the uh, 67s to force a game seven and just a blast. Uh, Todd Norman was somebody who had an outstanding shot. So those two goals stick out in my mind. And the unfortunate one that I can never get rid of is a guy named Bobby Russell for the Portland Winterhawks scoring in overtime uh, to give the Portland Winterhawks the Memorial Cup over Guelph in 1998. And earlier in the overtime, it was maybe just two shifts before the storm had Bootland, Wilsey, and Jackman, three guys that could all get the job done going three and one into the Portland zone, whistled down offside. And I swear to this day, and so does George Burnett, who was coaching the storm for the first time around back then, that wasn't offside. What would have happened? What if? And that what if memory has been a kind of a difficult one to shake over the years because that is a Memorial Cup they could very easily have won. If only they had instant replay back then, Larry, to oh, review yeah, these things. Absolutely. <laughs> How about a 19 was delay? <laughs> yeah, Fred, you're kind of reading my mind on this because we've, we've seen this technology come into the game over our careers. How do you feel about it? Well, I, I don't like it, uh, especially the delays. And, and, you know, I think you could probably go into every building and you've seen a delay or a review that's gone far too long. So bottom line is, I think there's a human element to, to it. Uh, Larry's talking about something that happened in, in 1998. And I think sometimes those are as much of the lore as anything. Larry, do you think there's, I mean, are we using technology appropriately? Because I'm kind of with Fred on this. I If we could do it quicker, maybe that's one thing. But there are humans playing the game. There are going to be some errors. The players make them. That's what makes the game so much fun. Sometimes the officials miss things too. How many times have the three of us on the air after one of those delays said, this has been about five minutes now. What, what's the uh, delay for here, guys? Haven't you made up your mind yet? Go ahead, make up your mind. And even if I disagree with you, I'll be happy that we're just getting the game started again. So that's the long answer. The short answer is yes, I think we've delved into too much of this stuff that has actually delayed the game. This game is so much fun at this level, and I think that's the reason that we've been doing it for as long as we have. Fred, I heard you, and I've got to give credit where it's due, uh, on the Future Considerations podcast with Matt, John, and Manny telling some stories. I don't know that I've ever laughed at a podcast as much as that particular episode when you joined those guys. And one of the stories you shared was of the time the attacks bus driver quit you hadn't even gotten out of town yet and the bus was stopped and he walked away yeah it's it's uh it was it was a business decision i think at, at that point too because uh uh there's no need to mention the company by name pmcl but they were getting screwed on uh on the cost of fuel and they wanted to rework the deal and the attack wouldn't do it because they knew they had a good deal in terms of the of, of their busing 
And so the thought was that PMCL was sending us the worst bus drivers they possibly could. And this guy was a disaster from the get-go and he made it. And you, you guys have been to the Bayshore. Uh, he made it from the Bayshore to the town center, probably in about nine minutes. And, and all of us could almost walk it in nine minutes. And then he made one turn and he and Mike Stuthers had had a, a shouting match. And so right at the corner of uh, where the coach is in is uh, he'd driven probably 10 blocks and he'd stopped the bus and got off and he quit at 7.30 on a Sunday morning when we were to be at Plymouth for two in the afternoon. Uh, he got back on the bus about 15, 20 minutes later, got us to Sarnia to the border, and then him and Mike Stuthers got in at it again. So there were uh, two basically explosions and there were bombs of various descriptions going off in that bus. But eventually uh, George, the bus driver, got us to Plymouth and got us home. Larry, what stands out to you from time on the road? Bus stories. Funny you should mention that. I was thinking is listening to you two guys, and there were a couple of things. We had one bus driver, and I'm not going to mention the driver's name. Well, he doesn't drive anymore, so it wouldn't get him in great trouble, I guess. We were coming back from Sault Ste. Marie. We'd reached about Perry Sound, and E.J. McGuire was the coach back then. And he had actually had to take the wheel of the bus because the driver had fallen asleep, and there was a moose kind of straying in our neighborhood. So E.J. bailed us out that time. And then... There was a stinker of a game one night in Saginaw, and after the game, we were heading up to Sault Ste. Marie. Bill Stewart was the coach, and Fred was talking about colorful words that could be used in exchanges. Well, Bill could use quite a few of those in various combinations. And as we were heading up to Sault Ste. Marie, we darn near hit a deer, and Bill shouts, damn, that would have been the first hit of the night. <laughs> Never waste an opportunity for a good one-liner like that. I had the chance early in my career to kind of learn from uh, the great Don Cameron in this business. And I just sort of watched the way he did things. And I get the sense the approach with you two gentlemen is similar. Fred, how do you, as the broadcaster traveling with the team, manage those different relationships with coaches, et cetera, over the year? Because sometimes I feel like we almost end up in the line of fire just because we're there. Yeah. And, and that's, that's very accurate. And I think, you know, if, if you evolve as a broadcaster, I, I think you learn to walk pretty close to the middle and, and try to be consistent and professional in, in everything that you do. And I'm not saying that the coaches or the managers aren't professional. It's just, you're going to have very, very different personalities. Jerry Harrigan, for example, would be a lot different than Mike Stuthers. Ryan McGill would be a lot different than, than Rick Sealing. So I, I think that you just have to understand where you are and, and what your place is when you are. And, and my attitude in, in terms of getting along is, uh, has always been that you either get along or you get off. And, and you know, fortunately, <laughs> I've only been asked to get off once. But other than that, it's, it's been not a bad ride. Why did you get asked to get off, Fred? Well, maybe it wasn't that, and, and there's no need to mention the coach by name, but they were upset about something one time, and the bus was to leave, or the bus was to load at 8.30 in the morning and leave at 9, and we were going to Plymouth. Ironically, all this stuff seems to happen when we're going to Plymouth, and I showed up at 8.40, so I'm 20 minutes before we leave, and the coach growled at me that the bus leaves at 8.30, and I said, oh, I'm pretty sure it said load at 8.30 and leave at 9. And he, and he barked at me again. And then stupidly, I should have let it go, but I pulled out my itinerary and I said, Hey, look, look at this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And didn't he lose it at me? So the bottom line is we're going to Plymouth. We stop at Godrich for about 15, 20 minutes for, for a Tim Hortons break. And I'm a little, you know, thought, why did we leave so early? Then the beautiful thing was we got to, uh, to Sarnia 
and we were eating at a Kelsey's and they came out and said, oh, we weren't expecting you guys for 45 minutes. We had to sit in the parking lot for 45 minutes. And if I didn't need the job at the time, or if I had a better set of cones, I would have said, well, it's a good thing that we left early. But instead, I, I knew at that point, shut your mouth and just go along. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear parts of that, Fred, because I, I've always had the half hour prior is load and then it's the departure. And early on, if it was 8.30 load, 9 o'clock out, I was there by 8.25. Even, and then after a while, you're like, why am I standing around? I don't have anything to load on the bus except my fat butt. So I'll just come around midway through. So I'd come at 8.45 usually. I'll never forget, though, the day that I showed up around that middle ground of 15 minutes before departure and the bus was pulling out of the bus bay. Okay. Oh, the walk of shame that time. Steve Spot yeah. was the coach. He was he let me on the bus, but I got I got the look and I think I, I think looking back, you know, I deserved it. I guess maybe I should have been there for the, you know, the load time half hour before departure. I, I think the three of us in radio understand that nine o'clock means 850 or 840 or, or that you're always early. And and personally, I take a great deal of pride. And and one of the reasons that I actually looked for the sheet and showed it to the coach was because I, I didn't think I was wrong. And I Turned out I wasn't wrong, but even though I was right, I was wrong. Larry, how do you manage different personalities over all the years? It's uh, interesting that uh, situation Fred went through. It happened to me one time uh, where Sean Camp forgot to tell me that he changed the bus time to a half hour early, earlier than planned, and I was a little late. And I got the gears from the players coming on, but not the coach. And he said, shut up, you guys. It's my fault. So I got a little bit different reaction from the coach. How I've handled it over the years, as you get to know pretty soon, dealing with these people on a a day-to-day or at least game day-to-game day basis and practices and whatnot, what their temperament is like and when it's a good time to approach them. And when you think, uh, no, that question can wait until an hour or two from now or maybe I'll do it tomorrow instead. So you start to get a sense of how to deal with the people. You know, Fred, the other thing that struck me as you were telling that story is how, and this happens, I think, to all of us at times over our careers is, you know, the schedule says one thing, but things might change. You find that there is time that you might consider to be wasted on the road, or you could have spent doing, you know, you could have spent that time better doing something else, maybe being home and and not on the road with the hockey club. Do you ever, did you ever ask yourself over the years, why do I do this? Like, what am I doing out here on the road in the middle of February? Well, I I think that's a question for Larry, because uh, I've I've heard Larry say before that that's a wasted night. And and I think it has more to do with your team sometimes and and the team that you have. And, And the example that I'll give you is the second year that Owen Sound had a team. They only won 13 games that year. And you just knew you were beat before you left the parking lot to go, certainly to play the Niagara Falls Thunder in, in that era. Because I think Niagara won, uh, you know, the old Thunder won 21 straight head-to-head with Owen Sound over three or four years. Like, didn't matter where the game was, they either won it or tied it. And, and you know, in 90-91, that was a lost season for Owen Sound. And so a lot of times you thought, okay, what am I doing? And, and I know, Larry, you've had a couple of cases where you've had the number one or number two pick as a result of the season that you've had. And it makes for a long season, and you sometimes question what you're doing. Over Is to you, that, Larry. Yeah, I oh, was my turn. There <laughs> well, I, was, I thought I thought Fred set you I, up pretty nice. I was nice having there. a brief little nap there because I, I catch my five ten minute naps on the bus, so I was uh, thinking I was back in the bus. Uh, trips, road trips that really get to you. The, the longer you spend in the bus, uh, the worse a road trip home can be after a defeat. And I know Fred and the Owen Sound Attack have experienced some of the same things that the Storm have. 
with the Sioux Greyhounds. You spend seven and a half hours on a bus. You play a game up there. You play a stinker, and a seven and a half hour bus ride can seem like an eternity in getting home. And if there is one building in particular over the many years where the Storm have really struggled, I think they went through about a four-year stretch where they didn't win a game in the suit. Mind you, it's only twice a year, but still, uh, that's a long trip when you figure that you're going to wind up with absolutely nothing out of it. I remember those trips up to the Sioux where the schedule for the Rangers used to be home on Friday, Saginaw on Saturday, Sioux on Sunday afternoon. And you probably know just by hearing that, by the time we got to the SR Center, the old Memorial Gardens, take your pick of the names, but GFL now up in Sault Ste. Marie, but the, the Rangers were sitting ducks and, and the Hounds were just ready to pounce on those Sunday afternoons. And those did make for really long bus trips home. You mentioned sleeping, Larry. Have you mastered the art of sleeping on the bus? Absolutely not. That's why I said five or 10 minute naps. Oh, another building that comes to mind is Ottawa. Don't you love it? And I don't know whether you guys have looked uh, far enough ahead in your schedule, but we actually have the Ottawa trip mid-October and it involves a home game on a Friday night, the Saturday night in Kingston and Sunday afternoon in Ottawa. Come on. <laughs> What's with that? You talk about fatigue and knowing full well, that's going to be a tough afternoon in Ottawa. That, again, was a way that we always used to do it. it. When Belleville was in the league, it was Kingston Friday, Belleville Saturday, and then Ottawa Sunday afternoon. We're really lucky this year, Larry. It's Ottawa on a Friday night and then Kingston on the Sunday afternoon, and we're doing it early October. So it's going to be nice weather and not a bad way to play those games on what we call the Eastern Swing. What other it's buildings... Funny. Yeah, what, sorry, Larry. When I saw that schedule, the first thing that occurred to me is Brian Kilray still there working out these schedules <laughs> because we used to think that Killer did that on purpose. Of course. Look for that advantage. You're coming off a game Saturday night. We'll take you Sunday afternoon. Thank you very much. Any uh, buildings that you remember being houses of horror, Fred? Not, not really. I, I think you have your moments in, in all of those buildings and, and both the bad defeats and, and the big victories all, all stand out to you. But to, to your point on Ottawa, as you said, we used to be Kingston Friday night, Belleville Saturday night, and, and then uh, Sunday afternoon would be in Ottawa. And I don't have the figure right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that Owen Sound is four and 21 with a bunch of ties in Ottawa, uh, only because we would get popped there uh, every year and, and very seldom did Ottawa in particular in the Brian Kilray area, have a, have a bad team. So in, in terms of, of buildings uh, and teams, you know, Niagara Falls had Owen Sound's number very, very early. But after that, you know, this is something that Larry and I talk about periodically is that the only nightmare that I have in, in buildings is whether or not they'll have a phone jack. So there, there's some buildings that, that just aren't cooperative and you've got to figure out a way to get around it. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit from the broadcaster's perspective, because I... I joke all the time. I mean, we're not splitting atoms or birthing babies here, but there are challenges that can be presented. And that's a real fear when we've had trouble with our equipment in various buildings from time to time too. But can you take us through a typical game day preparation, Fred? What's your routine? Uh, uh, get there. Generally, Owen Sound through the years has, has been terrific. That They're always there two hours beforehand. And so generally I'll go and get hooked up to, and make sure that I have a dial tone before I do anything else in my broadcast booth. And then the rest of the time will be down and I, I'll probably do about three interviews before a game, nothing elaborate, uh, probably five, six questions, if that. And then the, the rest of it is just putting your statistics together and making sure that the one, your commercials are ready to go and, and two, your information is ready to go just in case somebody goes through the glass. 
glass or just in case there's a delay and, and you have to, to clean things up and, and you have a lengthy delay. So I think it, it, it's all about preparation and it, it's all about being more prepared than what you actually use. Larry, what about you for preparation? That pretty much sounds like the same thing here for home games. I try to get into the building at least two and a half hours in advance and the storm are the same as the attack. We're at a road location a couple of hours before. And the first order of business, as Fred has said, make sure your equipment is working properly. After that, you go do some interviews and, and put your information together in the media room, see who's available to talk. That has changed a little bit, of course, with the pandemic, because a lot of the interviews that I've done over the course of the last year or so have been pre-recorded. And that uh, has a tendency to work out pretty well, because then you're not scrambling at the last minute for interviews as well. Let's take it back to the, the really early days. And Fred, when we come into Owen Sound now, anybody knows that, you know, Fred Wallace is, is I think, better known in the community than the mayor, quite frankly. Where did it all start for you in sports broadcasting? What was the first time you cracked a mic? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm thinking of my start. I've started. I'm thinking of my start at McLean Hunter uh, TV in in Midland, Ontario, which was almost my last one. And uh, I ended up swearing on air uh, through my fault, but also through the fault of the people that were operating the the cassette back in the the day. So that, that's where it started for me uh, in in Midland at the time. There was a, a radio station, an AM station called 1230 CKMP, and the uh, the announcer, the sports announcer, was a guy named Tom Shields, who went on to become and he just seemed to know everything about sports and know everything about the town so he was a pretty good influence and, and I went from high school in Midland to Ryerson and and uh, was in a pretty good class uh, with, with a number of people that are that are pretty prominent in terms of uh, both sports and, and, and broadcasting in general and then from there back to Midland and worked at CKMP and then over here to Owen Sound and by 1988 uh, our sports director here in Owen Sound had left so that just opened up a, a sky-high profile and, and what happened was a year after I became sports director, the Platers moved from Guelph to Owen Sound. So it, it really landed right in my lap. Okay. I can't let the McLean Hunter story just hang there, though. You okay. swore. <laughs> so back in the 70s, uh, McLean Hunter didn't have live. So my best friend was, was the play-by-play -play guy, and I was the color guy. And my best friend was pretty good at it. But his, his marks weren't very good in school. So his mother wouldn't let him do this game this one particular game so I had to do it and I'd watched him enough that I knew how to start the old VTR you push play and record and I knew what the VU meter was so I grabbed the mic and I looked and I made sure that everything was was going and what I did for my test was listen up out there you bunch of one two three and I used probably the three worst words you could possibly use so this was on video cassette but I didn't know that the dummies at Rogers would put it into the live VTR or the live playback and not cue it up to the start of the game so I'm sitting in my basement in Midland, Ontario on a Wednesday night, and all at once I hear testing, testing, listen up out there, you bunch of one, two, three, four, all these dirty words are flying out. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. And then I thought, ah, oh, it's, it's McLean Hunter. Nobody's watching McLean. Ring. The phone rang, and it's the president of Midland Minor Hockey. He blasts me. I hang up the phone. I go back to watch the TV. Phone rings again. It's my mother's priest or my mother's reverend on the line. And so the phone rang for half an hour with people in, in a small town that were upset. So in, in 1978, I nearly blew my career before I even got started. 
Oh my goodness. So who, who was it first? Was it George Carlin or was it Fred Wallace? I think it was you, Freddie. <laughs> George did seven. I only did four. <laughs> but think, think of the four worst possible words that could come out of somebody's mouth. And that's what I did as an 18 year old. I'm blushing just thinking about it. Uh, I don't know if you topped that, Larry, but I think there was a stop out West for you at some point along the path too. Oh, there was CKCK and Regina and uh, one of the other radio stations in town was doing play by play. So I did the uh, PA announcing for the Regina Pats. I did Alberta Junior Hockey League play by play with the wrestlers and Red Deer. Started in radio in December of 1970. Please don't do the math. And then I got here to Guelph in 1974. And a guy named Norm Jerry was mayor of the city and news and sports director of the radio station. And at that point was only six or seven years removed from having been the TV play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers. So what a great guy to learn play-by-play under, learned so many things from him, including diplomacy. And I've got to tell you a funny Norm Jerry story. We're doing a game in the old Southern Ontario Junior Hockey League. Yeah, the team was out of Niagara Falls, as a matter of fact. And a player got hit in the neutral zone and something happened that I've never seen in a game before or since. The cup popped out of the jock strap onto the ice. <laughs> the female trainer comes racing out because she thought the player was injured and did a quick U-turn and let the player uh, readjust his own equipment. But when Norm got the mic from me, he said it was an elbow pad. I grabbed the mic back and said, I've never seen an elbow pad that looked like that before. <laughs> that was Norm Jerry being the diplomatic mayor of the city of Guelph. Fantastic. And now they've got a park named after him, of course. They do. You mentioned Norm and the New York Rangers. Uh, This is a question I've gotten asked, I don't know how many times over the years. I'll start with you, Larry, since you mentioned the pro team first. Was there ever a stop along the way or a time along the way that you considered the next level or had an opportunity there? Uh, Very briefly, when George McPhee got the general manager's job in Washington, we talked and he seemed to be interested in trying to get me down there, but got told that that particular position wasn't his to fill and had already been filled. So there you go. There was that one time. Uh, But aside from that, I mean, how many great players have the three of us seen over the years and followed careers and now seen them retire? And I was telling you guys before we started this, I just had a conversation with Ryan Callahan. He's going to be honored uh, in November. And when we're done with this, I've got a call in to Dustin Brown in Los Angeles. He's retired. He's going to be honored later on in the year. How much fun has it been for the three of us to have encountered people like that on the teams we cover and, and other players around the league and other people around the league? I agree with you completely on that. What about you, Fred? Uh, no, there, there's never been an opportunity. And uh, truthfully, I, I think since I've got to Owen Sound, I might have applied for three different positions outside of Owen Sound. And it certainly wasn't in the last 20 years. So, you know, and both the, in those three cases, I think we're all Ontario centers where something had opened up. And uh, in every case, I didn't get them. So I'm still in here, here in Owen Sound and, and not unhappy about it. So it's, no, not from a professional standpoint, no, or not, not a, an ultimate professional standpoint. I think Larry sums it up so well, though, when you kind of reach that point. I think it, we're all full of whiz and vinegar at some point early in our careers. And I know when I got my first job in radio, it was going to be, you know, I was going to end up on Q107 doing rock radio like John Derringer or something, or I'm going to be on Hockey Night in Canada like Bob Cole or something like that. But somewhere along the line, you kind of figure out how special this is. And 
and the opportunity that we get and going into full buildings in our communities where we've been for so long is a pretty special thing. Uh, what is it that still excites you about the game today, Fred? Well, I, I think the fact of the game, uh, you know, the, the, the game is the thing. And, and uh, you know, it, it's been a long time since we've had a bad team, probably about 15 years in Owen Sound since we've, we've had a bad team. So we've, we've always had a competitive team. Uh, you look at the, the roof in Owen Sound and there are just three banners from that one year. And you might say, OK, Owen Sound's a struggling franchise. I, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I think Owen Sound's in a division with London, with Kitchener, with Guelph, and, and Erie at, at times. Unfortunately, Erie probably stymied the last good chance that, that we had to, to have a winning team. So from that standpoint, it's exciting. Um, I, like, I like both the road, even though I'm not going to do it for one year um, this coming year. And, and I certainly like the home games just because of the atmosphere and the buzz and the people that you run into. And, and you know, there's been great friendships made along the road, and there's been great uh, friendships that have been enhanced at home. And I, and I do remember... Uh, uh, Rick Moss, a guy that was in, in the Kitchener market and the London market, he was our program director. And I remember the day that the uh, Platers came to Owen Sound, he called me into his office and we got talking about what we were going to do. And he said, you know, look me right in the eye and said, you know, your profile is going to go sky high because of this. And, and I've always remembered that. And I've always tried to be, be conscious of that in, in terms of, you know, being responsible about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Larry, what about you? As we're here early in a brand new season, does it still get the, the blood flowing, the juices pumping? Absolutely, especially when you head into a season where you think maybe there's a possibility of some special things that could happen. And I know the three of us have talked uh, leading into, well, we're a week away from the start of the season now, how difficult the Midwest division will be. But you get the sense that you're, the team you cover is going to be competitive. It makes for a whole lot more fun then when you head into the season and you think, oh, oh, this is going to be a struggle, maybe the basement is going to be closer than that uh, top spot is going to be. But aside from that, the game and the people are, are so much fun. And the game has, has evolved to uh, quicker, more skilled players. Players seem to just get bigger and bigger. And you look at that six foot four, 16 year old guy and think when I was 16 I don't remember that many six four six foot four athletes around but uh, the game is still fun yeah it is and you know now you make me think and I'm going to get a little bit uh, old school here but and Fred I'll start with you but look this is a much different game than it was when we first started calling them and and there's not too small a part of me that misses some of those rough and tumble games where something was happening on the ice that spilled into the penalty box, that spilled into the, the tunnel to the dressing room or whatever the case may have been. I, I know, I know we're in a better place overall, but darn it if I don't miss it sometimes. Any, any of that come back for you, Fred? Yeah, you don't see, when you have a game like that during the course of the year now, and, and you might have one, and, and it's a it's a rare one. You think, all right, this is 1990s hockey. And, and the way I always looked at it was the Windsor Spitfires, when, when Owen Sound first got a team, very seldom had a good team. But I think their marketing push was, we might make the playoffs, but we guarantee you there'll be three to four fights a night. And they would pill, uh, fill the older Windsor Arena just to see the just to see the fight. So it, it really has changed. And, and obviously, for the better, for the safer. The, the other factor, too, that I think that's been a, a real big change in hockey is concussions. And, and the first one that I ever remember seeing was a Kitchener Ranger. Lenny DeBono got hit by uh, Kirk Malpe and I went, Ooh, what's wrong with him? And now, now, you know, they, they seem to be more common for whatever the factors are. And I think the, the fact that there's less fighting actually makes the game a little bit safer, even though there seemingly are more concussions and more issues. 
Just on that point, real quick, it makes me think of Joey Hishon, obviously, Fred, and somebody that you would know well, uh, a real fine career, unfortunately, I think derailed by those concussions. Yeah, yeah, th- th- there's no question about that. And, and Joey's handled it very, very well. He really has. And he, he's made the most of it. Uh, you guys might know he's going to work for Adam Oates now in, in skill clinics uh, out of uh, based out of St. Louis, but he'll also be a lot closer to his home base in Stratford. So, you know, we're, we're going to miss Joey and Owen Sound, but I think to Joe's credit, he was able to, to deal with it to the best of his ability and, and keep a, a really sunny disposition going forward. Larry, I think back on some of those storm teams of past and obviously Kitchener and Guelph always had a great rivalry. Cam Jansen's a previous guest on this podcast. We know what he brought to the table, but what do you think of the then versus now comparisons in the game? Cam Jansen is a, a great example. When he got traded from Windsor to Guelph, my first question for him was, how does a guy from St. Louis wind up playing hockey? And he said it was the only team sport that let me fight. So that, that was Cam Jansen. You go back even further, that the team that won in Guelph in 1998, I always remember, they had the skill, but it was a big physical hockey team. And when we were in Halifax in 2019 at the Memorial Cup, I ran into Bob Crummer, who played on that team and lives in the Maritimes these days. And Bob told me there is no possible way he could play today's game because his game was the game the way it was played back then and just wouldn't translate into the way the game is played these days. So how did the going a little bit in a different direction or how did the relationship between the two of you develop to the point it has off the ice? Like I've seen pictures of the two of you running. I don't know if it's full marathons or half marathons or 10 Ks or whatever you do uh, over the summer months. How did that all start, Fred? Uh, I, I think just by proximity in that we played Guelph eight times a year in an average year, 12 times last year. So, you know, it, again, it's almost like I said with the, with the team, it, it's either get along or, or get off. And, and, and you guys, I'm sure there are broadcasters and, and media people around the, uh, around the uh, league, no need to mention London by name that you keep your distance from. And then there, there are some that you're, you're very uh, close to or, or get very, very familiar with. And so, you know, by, by and large, all kidding aside to London, <laughs> all kidding aside to London, uh, you know, th- there are great relationships in, in every building that I can think of, you know. Um, and, and so I think because Larry and I see each other more than anybody else over the course of the season, I think that really was the groundwork. And, uh, far as I can tell, Larry's been doing the games for Guelph since 1993, and I've been in Owen Sound since 1989, so we would have seen each other over the course of 30-some years, eight times a year, so there's there's 240 times, times two to three hours each and every night that we're, we're around each other, so I think that's, that's the basis of where we got connected. Larry, who had the better time when you guys ran together? Well, uh, it might have been Fred, but uh, it's too bad that Fred hadn't been running with me, let's see, in the late 70s when I was actually running three or four marathons a year and I was in pretty good shape. And that's how I got involved with uh, the run. And Fred was doing it for personal reasons for the hospital in Owen Sound. And I thought, well, maybe you'd like some company, somebody who can run in the same territory as him. But he really relished the fact that I think uh, in the two or three half marathons we ran, Fred, we might have run together for both half the race, and then Mr. Smart Alec from Owen Sound pulled way ahead of me. I forgive you, Fred. <laughs> but it was one of the few times that Owen Sound beat Guelph that year, so <laughs> it was a personal pride. <laughs> if you couldn't beat him on the ice that year, you'll beat him in the marathon afterwards. You got me yeah. thinking again, Freddie, when you mentioned uh, London. And, and as I've, of late, I've kind of come around on this idea that it's actually a really good thing for the league because every story needs a villain, 
but maybe I'm off base on that. How do you feel about the, the Knights kind of position in the Ontario Hockey League, the role that I think a team and the franchise relishes? I don't think it's good for business in, in a lot of cases. And, and I'll use the Victor Mete example, or I could use the Max Domi example, or I could use the Dickinson example currently. This is, this is my own personal opinion in that I don't think it's good for business, that, that I think that there are 20 franchises in the Ontario Hockey League. I think all 20 should be on equal footing and, and basically are. I, I don't think that you're getting a better experience in Peterborough than you are in Sarnia or that you are in Owen Sound or that you are in Guelph. And I think all of those organizations, uh, you know, have, have a great deal to offer. And so when I hear that somebody's going to a certain market because of educational op- opportunities or whatever the, ha- uh, the, whatever the case happens to be, I quietly say under my breath, garbage. Um, another attitude, and, and maybe you'll have him or have already had him on your show, is Gino Cavallo in, in Sault Ste. Marie. Gino has zero problem. He's, he's not necessarily the polar opposite of me, but he says London's doing exactly what they're allowed to do. And, and so as a result, why doesn't anybody else do that? So th- there's different ways. And, and I think that there's there's nothing worse than than losing sometimes to a division rival. And, and we, we felt the same through the years about Kitchener and Guelph and Erie, et cetera. And there's nothing sweeter than beating those rivals too. And, and when it does happen it's it's a memorable moment and, and I can still see Bobby McNardi scoring in game six at London and seeing how you know basically they had to get out some bungee cords to keep the some people from jumping from the media box <laughs> I remember uh, Mike Patizian on one knee just last spring after the Rangers upset yeah. London in that first round seven game series overtime no less it was lots of fun and good point on Gino I have to get him on this show in the not too distant future Larry what do you think of how London kind of fits into this league and the role that the franchise plays. What kind of words do you want me to use? <laughs> you, we're on the internet, Larry. You can use whatever words you want. <laughs> oh, it's, it's funny. I actually grew up in London, so I certainly have nothing against the, the city of London. And I remember when uh, major junior hockey first came to London, actually back in the 1960s and watching the likes of Daryl Sittler and Dan Maloney and on and on. And they went through the really rough stretch where they struggled. They struggled at the gate because the team was struggling and the Hunters came in and turned it around. And, and you've got to respect that. These guys have been around forever. I guess they're, the things that irritate you are the way uh, Dale Hunter can react sometimes at the bench as opposed to other coaches. Uh, a direct opposite of, say, for instance, a George Burnett, who seldom ever got heated back at the bench. But uh, it's guaranteed that Dale Hunter will put on a show, especially on the road for the uh, fans once or twice during the course of the game. And you think, okay, what's going on now, Mr. Hunter, that the referee and everybody else has done wrong except you and your players? So it's it's just that little sense occasionally of arrogance that comes with success. And you can't dispute the fact that it's been a very successful hockey team. So kudos to them. Doesn't mean the other 19 teams especially have to like them, which they don't. Nope, there is no doubt about that. You get me thinking about coaches a little bit more now, Larry. And obviously, uh, Pete DeBoer was probably the most intense I've seen in my 20 years or so uh, around the Rangers organization. But there wasn't ever uh, a whole lot in the way of theatrics with officials, etc. Like nothing too big. Like I remember back not too long in that same era, not too long ago, when Mike Vellucci, there was a top 10 Vellucci meltdowns on YouTube somewhere. I could probably still find it if we looked. But Fred, did you ever have a coach that really lost it on the bench? Well, I remember Len McNamara in the very first year, he got suspended for throwing water bottles on the ice. But but in, in terms of being demonstrative, no, not really. Um, again, there are all kinds of personalities. And just, you know, when you're talking about it, 
uh, about coaches in, in Owen Sound, my, my personal favorite, with no offense to any of the 12 or 13 guys that have done it, was Rick Tarasuk, who was only here for one year. And I think what I really loved about Rick Tarasuk was that we were basically in the same age bracket. Rick might be a year older than I was. He was in his early 30s when he coached here. And it used to be so cool that we would get back from a game on the road, you'd get packed up, I'd get back to my place, and I'd be walking up the stairs of my place, and I could hear the phone ringing, and it would be Rick Tarasuk. And then he'd talk to me for the next hour and say, do you believe number four, that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, Rick Tarasuk from, from that standpoint. So in terms of being demonstrative, I'm, I'm sure there have been moments when Owen Sound coaches have blown up, but, but not on a perpetual basis. Yeah, I remember some memorable post-game quotes from time to time. Not much jumps out at me from on the bench during a game at any point. But uh, what about you, Larry? I'm just trying to think. There, there was one particular coach that uh, I found a little irritating, and I won't name names, but he only lasted the one season in golf. It didn't matter. Uh, some of them have become very good friends over the years. E.J. McGuire springs to mind, and what an interesting man he was because there, uh, with all due respect to the coaches, not too many coaches around that had a Ph.D. in psychology. A funny thing with E.J. McGuire, though, he was a coach that you could go to for your pregame interview, and you would know right off the top that you were going to get five, six, seven minutes of fill time. And uh, in all honesty, the people you interview on a regular basis figure out, okay, that's what they're doing. They have a certain amount of time they need to fill. EJ would fill it, but I'd go back over the interview and think, I didn't ask that question. What questions he answering? He was very smooth, very adept at that, and, and avoiding questions that he really didn't want to answer and confusing you into thinking that he had answered. Clever that way. That's I, Maybe that's the PhD in psychology coming through. Larry. That's it. Yep. <laughs> I think we've probably all had those intermission guests that help out that way from time to time. Jim Cressman with the London Free Press used to be great for that. If you needed a washroom break during intermission and a guest, you just ask Jim the first question and he'd say, I'll take it. And he'll, he'll talk for five minutes while you run out of the, the booth and go get a washroom break. Don't you just hate it? The old buildings, it doesn't happen so much anymore. Uh, remember experiences, Fred, at the Peterborough Memorial Center when you kind of had to scramble to find some place during the intermission? Uh, the roof of the arena seems to ring a bell for some reason. You had to be kind of careful with that one. Well, the, the arena, without question, that I think uh, of, of, you know, maybe most fondly or most wary of is, is the Sudbury Arena. And, and I'm pretty convinced that when the day that I die will either be at the corner of 2nd and 10th and, uh, and Owen Sound or coming out of the press box in, in Sudbury, because that's a, a straight drop. And, and you mentioned Don Cameron earlier, Mike, and, and I just thought, you know, Don was well into his 70s and, and still climbing those stairs. And I thought, boy, I, I've got another 20 years. Am I going to get up those stairs? Honestly, let's be clear about this, too. Those aren't stairs. That's a ladder, right? The, the vertical on that thing, you know? And yeah, when we used to do those games together, I always let Don walk up first, just in case something happened. I was behind him to either try to catch or break the fall, and I would go down first, same reason. So yeah, that's a that's a really good one, and that hasn't changed, obviously. Any other uh, arena? Like, I don't like the, the Hamilton walk a whole heck of a lot. I don't like the okay. Oshawa catwalk a whole heck of a lot. Those ones kind of freak me out a little bit yeah i will sure. say this that uh, i do like the oshawa broadcast vantage point I, it's probably my favorite place on the road is the oshawa vantage point because the general's numbers aren't aren't very loud they're easy to see and you're right above the action so i, I do like that from a from a broadcast standpoint um the other broadcast you know 
talked about this in the memory. We, we've all worked morning radio and we've all done late night or into the evening broadcasts. And one Friday night we were in Guelph in the old arena and the press box or the broadcast booth was carpeted. And I remember I was so fatigued that I basically propped my head against the wall and just watched the game go back and forth. And I had the worst rug burn the next day. And I, I mean, it, it wasn't like a tiny little spot. It was like my four, full forehead. And it's a little, my forehead's a little larger now. But, but even back in the day, I came back to one sound and people went, what happened to you? Uh, rug burn. Oh, my gosh. That's great. I remember one such long night and early morning. And I ended up sleeping just for a couple hours at the radio station. Just got dropped off right downtown. Figured I, no point in even going home. But, uh, Larry, what are some memories of arenas gone by for you? Not so much with the Ontario Hockey League because most of the facilities are, are set up pretty well in, in terms of accommodating the media and broadcast. But I can recall years ago, and I think Guelph was playing in the Provincial League, and it might have been the year they won the Centennial Cup in 1978. But at any rate, we were in Hawkesbury in a playoff series. And their idea of the visitors' play-by-play -play area was to put a picnic table in the one corner and two chairs on top of the picnic table, <laughs> and you broadcast from there. You could see the uh, ice surface uh, pretty well, but I'm thinking, how crazy is this? But it's working. Yeah, that's not far off, really, what still exists in Ottawa today and what used to be at the old uh, Tulio Arena in Erie before they renovated. Oh. Well, yeah, and how about the sawdust for a year or so when those renovations were being done? You had to breathe that in. I got to tell you a funny Erie story. Uh, one of the uh, first games I was in there, first intermission, music is playing, and a guy comes up to me, not really fully understanding, not understanding at all what the heck it was I was trying to do there, and said, uh, can you play Macarena for me? And I said, <laughs> no. I said, even if I could, I wouldn't, but I can't. So in Erie, I had a guy come up to me and give me uh, freebie coupons to Hooters if I would promote Hooters on the air. And I, I'm thinking, buddy, there's nobody from Owen Sound going to drive five hours to go to your Hooters, but I'll take the coupons. Thank you very much. I was going to say, please tell me you at least took the coupons. Why yes, not? Right? I did. That's, that's <laughs> one of the real benefits of that double header that Owen Sound plays at Erie every year. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's funny. We could... I'll tell you what, we could probably go on and on about some of those experiences. Uh, Plymouth and Peterborough come to mind where the last row of the fans are right up against your broadcast booth. <laughs> and so, <laughs> see, you've had a couple of those, haven't you, Fred? Yeah, well, well Plymouth, I remember that there was a good family that sat right in front of us all the time. The, the other good memory from Plymouth is, is one day in between periods, they had a mini game going and the kid puked and he puked right <laughs> on the blowhole of the whale. And so I, they had a heck of a time getting that off the ice and, and I'm not sure what that kid ate that night but he he had not much of it left gosh Larry did you ever get uh like fans of the opposing team besides asking for song requests you know I, I had that in Plymouth and eventually we developed a bit of a friendship because the same fans like you know in in that seat but they don't want to hear the visiting team's call so I'd get the occasional dirty look but did that ever happen to you Oh, it certainly has. Uh, when they switched locations in Peterborough, we used to be up above, so away from the fans. But when they first moved down below, and you've got the people sitting right in front of you in just a, a partial glass, as you guys know, and you need to stand up uh, in order to catch the play around the whole ice surface. And the, one of the earliest games uh, I was in there doing the game, 
a guy in front of me said, you really sound like you could use some help. I said, my wife tells me that all the time. So <laughs> kind of diffused the situation, and uh, the conversation was friendly after that. Whenever there was a commercial break, they understood I was trying to do a job and describe a team that they didn't particularly like. But, hey, you have to have two teams out in the ice surface. Can't be just your home team out there. That would be a strange game. Absolutely. And yeah, diffusing the situation with humor. Okay. Um, I, I don't want to wear out my welcome with you guys before we see each other eight times this season. And Fred's got a poker game and Larry's got to talk to Dustin Brown before we go though. I wanted to, I wanted to try this out on you. Um, and you can tell me I've got the wrong player, but we've already kind of touched on how the Midwest division is going to look this season. I think it's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun. And there are, there is a player on either of your teams that I think is uh, a real special player. So if I got the player wrong, you can put in your own write-in vote here or just go with this. Fred, I'll start with you. Colby Barlow is the best forward in Owen Sound since. Best set of hands probably since Andrew Burnett, maybe even Sean Avery in, in terms of hands. No, no question about that. And uh, it's not that Colby was ever a poor skater, but he upgraded his skating during the course of, of the season. And, and I've only seen the one exhibition game this year, and, and that's really not much to gauge the, the entire group on. But I think you're my, uh, right, Mike. There, there's a lot of uh, expectations, and, and I think Colby has the, the type of personality that he's going to be able to handle that well as a 17-year-old on what will still be a pretty young team. And, and I, I would suggest that five of the six forward positions, top six forward positions, have already been spoken for, and, and he and Gangdon and Petrovsky might be one, two, and three, top three forwards. How much fun was that watching that trio of rookies last year, Fred? It, it was really good. In in particular, Gendon, who I, you know, you do your end of year uh, recap and you're looking at your notes, and he only had four or five goals by December, and he he ended up with thirty. So I, I think that was big. And and the other player that I'll say keep an eye on in Owen Sound is Gavin Bryant. And you you might think that I'm off my rocker when I say this, but but he is reminding me somewhat of uh, Damiani. Uh, in in Kitchener and and you know that might be a stretch on my part I'm not sure but there, there's just something about him that seems to be in the right place at the right time and and so you know I, I think there's a an understandably good deal of excitement in Owen Sound about what we think we have here for this particular year but again you have to temper that because London is London and Kitchener looks like they've added uh, some marvelous pieces in the off year and and we went eight and four against Guelph last year but the four times we lost were nine four seven three so there, there's excitement in Owen Sound and Colby Barlow is a big reason for that yeah I'm a huge fan of what I saw from him last season really looking forward to watching him develop as what I think can be uh, absolutely an elite player in this league okay Larry on your side uh, I'm looking at the other side of the ice and Cam Allen is the best storm defenseman since I knew that you were going to bring up that name and I hesitate to say since Drew Doughty, but look, Drew Doughty went second in the draft the year he was drafted behind Steven Stamkos. Cam Allen has already won a gold medal captaining an under-17 team. He's won a gold medal captaining an under-18 team. And on the ice, he and Michael Bushinger, who is usually his partner, you just don't see bad things happen. And I was truly amazed watching the two of them last year thinking a 16 and a 17-year-old that are playing in all situations. They're playing in the power play. They're playing in the penalty kill. They're playing against the other team's best players who are 18, 19, and 20, and you wouldn't know they were that young. Uh, Cam Allen, it's, I, I, thought, I think the latest projection I saw was maybe going number eight in the draft. 
And at the moment, he's ranked as the top defenseman potentially for the 2023 draft. So, yeah, Cam Allen uh, certainly is one to uh, really be watching this season. Uh, beyond that, expectations here in Guelph, I would think good seasons, and this maybe applies to players on every team that didn't get drafted and think maybe they should have. I'm thinking of Braden Bowman from the Kitchener area. Uh, and Aluka Profaka, those type of players who really have a point or two that they want to make this coming season. But things may very well begin with somebody like a Cam Allen. Yeah, he's a, he's a special player for sure. And it's not just because I watched him score a hat trick against the Rangers last year oh. either. Uh, gentlemen, it has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you making time to join us here on the OHL podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. See you on Saturday. See you, Larry. Thanks, Mike and Fred. Uh, I'll see you, I guess, October the 29th in Owen Sound, and I'll be bumping into you a few times too, Mike. Uh, so good luck with your coming seasons, guys. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.